Good morning. How many of you have ever known precisely what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, but then you just didn't do it? You know what I'm saying? Hands up. Like, Mark Twain, in his uh, travelogue, his famous documentary called Following the Equator, said this. He said that man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. How many of you, uh, there, was a, there was a commentator, I want to quote him. There was a commentator who heard that statement and astutely uh, defined his, his, his take on it was that Twain was implying that the characters that he wrote were so embarrassing and did embarrassing things that uh, that's why he said that. Now, Twain was renowned for his character development as an author, but I disagree with this commentator. I disagree, with, I disagree with him because I really believe that Twain did something not, not solely wrote embarrassing moments for his characters. I believe that Twain wrote incredibly human characters that just happened to be embarrassing. So look at your neighbor and say, you're embarrassing. Okay. And then I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to take a deep breath, look at your neighbor, and feel the weight come off as you say, I'm embarrassing. Okay? How many of you do some embarrassing stuff? Amen? I bet if we asked Jesus, we'd find out exactly how much. So... Here's the thing, that is Jonah's story, and that's where we're going to be today. So the good news is we are going to look at the narrative of Jonah. The bad news is we're going to do an entire book of the Bible in one sermon, right? Here's the other good news. Jonah is only as long as like one biblical page. It's a really short book, so, so we're going to get through the whole thing. And in Jonah chapter 1, the most preached chapter in Jonah, we see Jonah know exactly what God has called him to do, and he just doesn't do it. He disobeys. But I think the power of Jonah is actually found in chapters 2, 3, and 4, which we're going to cover more of today. So here's the thing that we need to understand uh, contextually before we get into the story. Uh, and really, we're giving the, the message away in story form today. You're going to follow me by story, not necessarily by points. So here's the first contextual thing you need to understand is Jonah's disdain for the Ninevites. These are a people that he hates. Here's why. Jonah is the first Israelite prophet called to the Gentiles. In history, he's the first Israelite prophet called to the Gentiles. The reason he doesn't like the Ninevites uh, is because, specifically, you need to understand who Jonah is, okay? Jonah is the son of Elijah. Elijah was the suicidal prophet who saw God do unbelievable things, amazing things, and then desired for God to kill him. Just so God could show him that God didn't show up only in the big, but he showed up in the whisper. That suicidal tendency, we called Elijah the prophet of fire, got t passed on to Jonah. And Jonah was fine to talk to any Jew. He was fine to talk to any Hebrew, but he didn't want to talk to a Gentile. Specifically, he did not want to preach or potentially pardon the Ninevite. Why? Because Nineveh at this time was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is the most pronounced and most powerful empire in all the world at this time. So 
in present day, Nineveh is not just a city in Jonah's day. Nineveh is not just a city. Nineveh is New York. As goes New York, so goes the rest of the world. It is the most important city in Gentile culture. And they're incredibly violent people. They were incredibly violent as they overthrew uh, areas and domain around them to take power. And so he is called not just to a Gentile city. Jonah's called into the belly of the beast, which is interesting if you know Jonah's story. So, counteracting Jonah's disdain is God's passion. God's passion for these people. God loves the sinner, amen? In fact, Jonah's story is a preemptive picture of what would be the New Testament church and a preemptive picture of what Jesus would give away to us in Matthew 5 when he gave that great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon he ever preached. And he said this in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. I just want you to listen. You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. The send, he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. So Jonah is the first prophet from the Hebrew, from Jude, Jerusalem, Israel, to be sent to the Gentile country to preach to known killers, his sworn enemies. And he didn't want to do it. Thus, he tried not to do it. He didn't feel the Ninevites were worthy of God's forgiveness and mercy. Thus, he wishes them dead. In fact, Spurgeon went on to commentate on Jonah and his, per, his predicament, his persona through this whole issue and why he was so disobedient. Spurgeon says it like this. He says that Jonah believed that if he were to go to the Ninevites and tell them that they needed to repent so that God could not bring judgment vastly, that he would, he would preach of a fire that was coming. But knowing God's character, God wouldn't do it if they repented. And so he didn't want to look like a liar. And he didn't thus want to make a liar out of God. Who is he to go into a place that doesn't know God and yell of a, of a fire that's coming unless they repent and then no fire comes? It makes him look foolish. Thus he didn't want to do it. So, Jonah's disobedience ensues. And I'm going to give you a synopsis of chapter 1 and how it looks. Jonah runs in rebellion. He finds a port of Joppa and he jumps on the first boat headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction of Nineveh. The exact opposite direction. And once on board, how many of you have ever had that moment where you know you're completely disobedient and it's like emotionally draining to you? You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever lost sleep over your disobedience? Okay. After wrestling with it, how many of you come to a point where you're just completely exhausted? Okay. This is why I believe we find Jonah asleep in the boat as the storm comes. He's asleep in the hull of the boat as the storm and God's pursuit of Jonah in his presence comes. And it's scaring, thus terrifying the sailors because it says in the scriptures that they were certain they would end up in the bottom of the deep. They have already prayed. They have already started casting lots and asking God, their gods to stop and relent that this storm may stop. Because they believe that there's a God that's been offended. 
And the captain goes downstairs to get Jonah, wakes him, shakes him, and says, hey, I don't know how you're sleeping right now, but you need to come upstairs. We're all about to die. Someone has offended their God, and this thing will not stop. We're all going to die, and his power won't relent. The judgment is furious on us. You need to come upstairs. Maybe if you just pray to your God, it'll stop. Come upstairs. They cast lots. Of course, those lots fall to Jonah, telling everyone who is sinned. So they begin to ask questions, who are you, what have you done? He says, I'm Jonah, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a prophet of God called to Nineveh, but I went in the exact opposite direction. Their next question is important is this, why? What have you done to us? Why have you done this to us in your sin? See, how many of you have ever been told exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and you tried to help God out with his directions? You try to interpret, okay, so I'll go hang with some Gentiles just in the opposite direction. I'll go not with some land people, but some folks who are sailing. I'll go hang with these guys. I'm hanging with Gentiles on the boat because this is something that I can stomach. But the thought of going to Nineveh is not palatable for me. How many of you have ever lessened the blow for yourself, the path of least resistance in order to help God out with his specific directions for you. So Jonah runs in the opposite direction, thus bringing death on the very people that he chose for himself. Let me say that again. In his sin, because he tried to help God out, he brought death upon the very Gentiles that he chose for himself. All because God's pursuit how many of you are grateful that God loves you so much that he's not going to let you run only so far? We just sang about it. How many of you are grateful that God's love is so, so much for you that he would leave the 99 to come after the one? In fact, it says in Psalm 139.7, David wrote it well, Where can I run from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, behold, you are there. So he instead heads in the exact opposite direction. He takes the exact directions of God and mutilates them and makes them more palatable for himself. God in his love pursues Jonah, bringing righteous vengeance on the voyage, nearly killing everyone due to Jonah's rebellion. And then finally Jonah repents. He says, throw me over the side. By the way, when he says, throw me over the side, that is sacrificial. He has no idea that God's sovereign plan is to send a fish. Hello? He understands that this means death for him so that they might live. He sacrifices himself. So finally, Jonah repents, throws himself over the side to his own death, sacrificing himself in order that these innocent Gentile men may live. The sea calms, and this is where our story picks up. This is where the story begins today. Jonah 1, 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So because of Jonah's repentance, the Gentile, even of his own choosing, began to worship. Something powerful happens when God's people repent. Hello? Chapter 2. Oh, sorry, verse 17 of chapter 1, moving into chapter 2. Now the Lord 
provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of fish three days and three nights. Now, you're going to read, I'm going to read this, but I want you to catch the picture. This is not what we've seen in cartoon form, okay? It's not like throw him over the side and here comes the fish and boom, he was in the water like a second and the boat, the fish got him, okay? Now, he couldn't have been under long because otherwise, hey, come on, reviving, right? But here's the thing. He says, I was at the depths with seaweed wrapped around my head in the midst of a violent hurricane. It's not like he jumped over into the belly of the fish. It's not like the fish came as soon as he hit the surface. He had to wrestle for a minute under there, struggling. In fact, it says that he was at his end. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Anyone ever felt like this? That's good for you. Listen, grace may be good for you, but not for me. You don't know what I've done. How many of you heard the grace in Megan's story and thought amen? How many of you need grace? You're embarrassing. How many of you need grace? <laughs> amen. I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever but you. How many of you are grateful for God's but? B-U-T. <laughs> How many of you are grateful for that but? But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. To your holy temple, when I thought that there was no breath left within me, I prayed and you came. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land so he could make his journey to Nineveh. Listen, many, many very astute commentators call this prayer right here, chapter 2, the prayer of the end of Jonah. Jonah's prayer is the prayer where he finds himself at the end of himself, where he can fight no more, where he's not fighting for himself anymore. He knows that his, his sins have led to death and it's imminent. So he desperately clings to the salvation of God and the grace of God. Hello? Sound familiar? How many of you have ever found yourself at the end of yourself knowing I can never save myself? But gratefully, God sent someone to take it so that you wouldn't have to. He gave death to the one that he loved, his only begotten son, so that you and I would not have to, so that we could live. Jonah went over to the side of the boat, sacrificing himself so the innocent could live. And at his very last, God saved him and sending the fish. And he said, I will not disobey you again. I'm at the end of myself. Here I am. I will 
scream, salvation comes from the Lord. Now, I'm going to do a synopsis of chapter 3. That was all of chapter 2, those 10 verses. Here it is, synopsis of chapter 3. Here it is, an incredibly lost and rebellious people immediately take notice and repent of their ways upon hearing God's message from the prophet Jonah. Here it is. Jonah repents in chapter 2. He walks into Nineveh, preaching salvation comes to the Lord. If you will stop, he will not bring the judgment you have so earned yourselves. So Nineveh repents and God relents. That's chapter 3. But chapter 3, verse 10, begins like this, and I love it. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring them up from the destruction he had threatened. Listen. When God saw that they had turned, he had compassion. Something incredibly powerful happens when God's people repent. When we find ourselves at the place of repentance, God's compassion comes on us. How many of you have heard that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud? How many of you need God's compassion? Something incredibly evoking in the spirit of God brings compassion from our Lord when his people repent. When we come to the place where we no longer want to fight for ourselves, but we let go of ourselves and let God be who God is. So, the end of chapter 3, Jonah the preacher, who disobeyed, fought God, ran from God, threw himself over as a sacrifice for the innocent. God sends the fish, saves him, sends him into Nineveh with a message that says he'll save you. And the godless, the violent, the New York of their day, the epicenter of culture to all of Gentiles, immediately hears this, the king himself, and they repent. They ask forgiveness. They turn their eyes to the Lord and repent, and God relents. And Jonah throws a party, and he celebrates. And he is so excited because they listened and they were obedient to repent. Is that what happened? Nope. Nope. Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. I told him there'd be fire, but I knew your heart. I knew if they repented, there'd be no fire, making me a liar. You made me look foolish. You, you made yourself look foolish. You made yourself look like a liar. How about that? God. He prayed to the Lord, isn't it this what I said you do, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall my, by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than for me to live. How many of you are grateful that God can even use the suicidal? He used Elijah and his son became just as much so. The NLT, the New Living Tradition, adds this. 
Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better that I die than I live. Nothing that I predicted is going to, nothing, or sorry, everything that I predicted is going to happen. So here it was. You didn't, I said that you would not bring it, and sure enough, they repented, and you didn't bring it, and you made me look like a fool. So here's how he responds. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better that I die than live. He has an anger with God because God was true to his own character. Write that down. How many of you have ever been angry with God because God was true to who God is? That God was true to his own character, and it drove you to anger in your embarrassing humanity. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? That's a fair question, I think, don't you? Is it right for you to be angry? It says that Jonah had gone out, chapter, verse 5, sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his comfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head, that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah's response, it is, he answered. And I'm so angry, I wish that I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals. Next point. Jonah's disorder. You see, when we have a perspective that seeks to fight for ourselves instead of simply be obedient to God, when we allow our pride to rise up and we get the resistance of God, maybe his stiff arm, we get things out of order. Let's look at it. Jonah chooses sailors over the Ninevites. So he's like, so I'll, I'm going to help you out, God. I think you missed it. I don't want the Ninevites, who are the epicenter to all Gentile culture, they're the violent Manson family, they don't deserve grace. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go hang with Gentiles on this boat. You're welcome. God in his pursuit comes and writes Jonah. How many of you are grateful that God never lets you flee too far from his presence? That he'll pursue you because he loves you romantically, comes after us, and puts us right on his course back where we were supposed to be in the first place. But then Jonah chooses to fight for the plant over fighting for the people. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? He takes this plant as imagery, and he makes it spring up overnight, dreamt it into existence, and also took it away. How many of you know God can give and take away? And Jonah, Jonah is up on this hillside already hot internally. But it just happens to be incredibly hot out here, externally. It's a hot, dry day where he's sweating, uncomfortable, and God provides shade, and he's happy about it. 
How many of you are happy when God provides something that you need to ease and give you comfort, right? But when God takes that away, do we also have the right to be angry? And this is what, this is what God ultimately says. Let's, let's paint this picture a little bit more for you in Jonah's capacity so that we understand the power of what God actually says. How many of you have ever seen God move in incredible ways? Hands up. How many of you know the phrase, how quickly we forget? How many of you found yourself within moments complaining? Students, what is rule number five from camp? A little louder. No whining. No whining. Okay? So here's Jonah who just two chapters ago is inside the belly of the fish that was sent in the, I mean, as pure grace, otherwise about to take his last breath and perish in the water. But the fish comes, takes him up, and you see Jonah pray at the end of himself, no longer will I fight you, I'll only speak of the salvation of the Lord. Ever been there? And then... God does something we don't like. And here's the thing. God does exactly what, who God is. And Jonah knew it, but see, it makes Jonah look foolish. You know what will make you forget really quickly? When your own persona gets challenged. The moment you begin to look foolish, all of a sudden we forget how good God was. Right? Happens in my life. So Jonah's up on top of this hillside watching God not bring fire to burn up his sworn enemies. The people that he knows are the most powerful side of the Gentile world, and they're dogs. They're the only way, they're the only thing really standing in the way of God elevating himself and the people of God reigning over the world. These people stand in the way, and God deserves to smite them, but he doesn't because I knew you were compassionate. And you're good. And you made me look like a fool. And here I sit watching you be kind and gracious and merciful to a people that don't deserve it. I'm fine to preach to the Hebrew. I, I don't want to preach to the killer. They don't deserve that. I'm burned up inside. Plus it's hot out here. Sun's beating down. Had a plant. Now it's gone. Like a four-year-old, just, it's hot out here. <laughs> just, dang it, God. And I need to ask this question because it's incredibly important. Who here doesn't identify with Jonah in this very moment right here? Where we've seen God move, but your very persona, your identity, you got challenged. And the worship of you, the reverence of you got challenged. And you immediately were kicking the dirt, complaining about the heat. Forgetting all that God had done to bring you to this point. Hello? I've been there far too many times. The disorder of Jonah. Jonah's bitterness and his resentment. His desire to see the Ninevites punish blinded him 
completely to the heart of God. It wasn't that he couldn't see. It was he chose not to see. Let me say it again. It's not that he couldn't see. He said it repeatedly through this entire narrative. I knew who you were, and I knew what you'd do. It's not that he couldn't see. He chose willingly not to see. How many of you recognize that some of your own teachability or lack thereof isn't because you can't understand, it's you're unwilling. How many of us are just a little unwilling sometimes to be taught? I don't want a lesson right now. And so we're going to kick the dirt and complain about the heat. We've got to get to this point. God's priorities. God has always been about the redemption of people, the crown jewel of his creation. And here's the thing that's amazing. God has always used his people to reach other people. He reveals himself through people, and oftentimes he reveals himself through the least likely. In this story, Jonah's story, he uses the most broken and least likely. Jonah, the very human, the embarrassing, the suicidal complainer to reach the most important lost city in the world. And while Jonah should have been celebrating, he was drawing a line in the sand with God. It's almost as if, it's almost as if Jonah, he condemns the Ninevites for not knowing God. But God's question, what gives you right to be angry, almost turns as if God looks at Jonah and says, okay, do you know me? You said you know me and you know my compassion, you know what I would do, and you just led a people who don't know me to turn and worship me. Do you actually know me? Do you know who I am? Do you recognize that this lesson was even less about the Ninevites and more about you? I'm calling you to do something that I will say through my only begotten son once he gets on the planet and his most important sermon ever But I'm letting you do it right here, right now. You are to love your enemy, not just those who are like you. You are to go where I send you because I'm doing something. And you are the least likely, probably the least qualified. But here's the thing. You suicidal complainer. Do not complain and fight for a plant that you didn't dream, but it came from me. When you won't fight for my people who can blush. Hello? You fight for something that came up and withered just as fast as it came into the world. But you won't fight for a people who are just as disobedient, just as rebellious as you. And I love you. I also love them. I've asked you to be my mouthpiece to them. Do we need to have this discussion any longer? Hello? How many of you ever had that conversation with God where you kind of wrestle going back and forth and then God kind of drops the mic and says, I don't want to have this discussion anymore. <laughs> Enough said. And you go, thank you, God, you're God, and I'm not him. Jonah 4.4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? Whenever you see God say things twice, it means with emphasis. Jonah's anger at God for God being God. He's mad at God because God is true to his own character, loving, forgiving, merciful, and, yes, sovereign and in control. 
Jonah had no right to be mad about God's grace for Nineveh or for his killing the plant because God is sovereign over all creation. When we try to fight God on the things that God is doing because we try to determine whom gets grace and who doesn't, guess what? God stops being God. Too soon? When we try to determine who God loves or when and how God loves, he stops being God and we become God at that point. We start worshiping ourselves and we stop worshiping him when we try to determine where and what God is going to do and whom and how he'll do it. Hello? So for all my people who are called his people, he is sending us, he is calling us, and he is leading us to see those who do not know redeemed. But the only way that we are effective is when we have God's perspective on the matter, not our own. How many of you know that God is God and you're grateful? How many of you know that there's a God and you're not him? How many of you know that God is sovereign so he can do what he wants and he doesn't need your opinion on the matter? How many of you are grateful he doesn't have your opinion on the matter? Verse 410, but the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have more concern for the greatest city right now in the world, Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 souls who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Who is God counting on to instruct the lost on determining and deciphering their right from the left? Who do you think God is counting on? Point right here. He's counting on each and every one of us. He's counting on his church to do it. And so, thankfully, God uses the least likely and the least qualified. Hold your hand up and say, I'm embarrassing. God, the creator of the universe, seeks to use you and me to reach the lost. The story of Jonah is all our story. It's one of disobedience, judgment, and it's one of self-worship. Yet it is also the story of God loving us in spite of it all. Meeting us at our absolutely lowest point. A place where we see his grace for us and others. And we simply can't deny it. How many of you have been to that place and seen God move and there was no other explanation than God moved? The place where we come to the end of ourselves. The place where God meets us, opened arms, receive us with forgiveness as we repent of trying to do his job for him. Hello? There can only be one true God, and thankfully we're not him. He loves us, he pursues us, he desires to have us for his own, despite all the times we've tried to do things our own way, made it about us, whined or even complained when it wasn't about us. We can either have God's perspective or we can have Jonah's, or in other words, we can have our own perspective. Today he pursues you, he pursues me, and the question is, the question is, you respond one of two ways today. Will you be the Jonah inside the belly of the fish at the end of yourself, surrendering to his love for you, repenting because that brings the compassion of God? Or will you and I be the Jonah on the hillside, demanding our own way and fighting for ourselves? 
You may be contemplating salvation this morning in this room. Maybe, maybe you hear the story of the fish and you go, I know I can't save myself. I need a Savior. Hey, there are people here that we'd love to talk to you about that. I'm here. Scott is here. Other pastors are here. Prayer partners are here. But maybe, maybe your salvation is intact and you know that for a fact, but you've been fighting him internally on something. You've been fighting him and his leading his direction. You've been trying to help God out with his leading you. And in the effort to do that, you've been playing God a little bit. Can I just encourage you to repent of that today? Which way is it going to be? His or yours? Which Jonah are you going to be? The one inside the fish or the one on the hillside? Father, we love you and we thank you, Jesus, for loving us. In this moment, as we respond, we respond solely to you and solely to the truth that you are God, and we want you to have your job. We're not trying to take it. So, Father, will you, this morning, begin to stir and move, use this word that you said will not become void. And, God, may we, your people, return to you in a response to that word, in obedience, one that pleases you, and one that seeks to make you smile. Jesus, have your way in this room. Holy Spirit, we ask thee to move. Father, be sovereign as we let go. In Jesus' name.